Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. In our lifetime, there has probably not been a more faithful ambassador for Christ in our world than Dr. Billy Graham. I have long admired him. I never met him, but uh, I was privileged to hear him preach in person in 1965 when as a teenager I was in the choir in the Astrodome when he conducted that crusade here in Houston. And uh, I came across this week ten facts about Billy Graham that you may or may not know. They were interesting to me. I hope they will be to you. I share them quickly. Fact number one, his breakthrough as an evangelist really came in 1949 when he and his organization were conducting a, what was planned to be a three-week tent crusade in Los Angeles, but the response was so overwhelming, it was extended to eight weeks. And his ministry was launched worldwide, and it never stopped expanding. Fact number two, in his crusade ministry, he spoke to more than 215 million people in over 185 different countries. His first crusade was in 1947 at Grand Rapids, Michigan. His last crusade was in 2005 in New York City at Madison Square Garden. Fact number three, Billy Graham came to be known as America's pastor. Because he stubbornly refused to become political, he had the opportunity to befriend and meet with and have influence upon 12 different United States presidents, beginning with Harry Truman in 1950 and ending with Barack Obama in 2010. Fact number four, President Ronald Reagan bestowed on Billy Graham the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And on the day of awarding that medal to him, February 23, 1983, President Reagan said this, quote, This medal is given to those who have risen to pinnacles of achievement in their fields. It is a recognition of their accomplishments, hard work, and dedication for America and for humanity. Fact number five. He was listed on the Gallup Organization's poll of most admired people a record 61 times, more than any other world leader. Uh, and second place was President Ronald Reagan at 31 times. So you can see the stature Dr. Graham had in our nation. Uh, fact number six, and I didn't know this one, in 2001, he was knighted by the king, uh, by the queen of England, and her ambassador did that on her behalf in Washington, D.C., December 6, 2001. And in that ceremony, he said, quote, Billy Graham is being honored for his huge and truly international contribution to civic and religious life over 60 years. Fact number seven, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, though he never starred in a movie. I like that one. Fact number eight, he pledged never to be alone in a room with a woman other than his wife in order not only to avoid temptation, but also any appearance of impropriety. And he kept that pledge 
as he was married to Ruth Graham from 1943 until her death in 2007. Fact number nine, President George W. Bush has said that it was Billy Graham's conversations with him and influence that changed his perspective on life and alcohol consumption that enabled him to be a recovering alcoholic. And after his influence on President Bush, he has been sober all these years. The last one, fact number 10, Billy Graham went home to heaven on February the 21st, 2018, at the age of 99, having been Christ's faithful ambassador to the world for 69 years. Uh, if you've ever heard Dr. Graham preach or, or heard him interviewed, he will often start his sentences with, the Bible says, the Bible says, and one of my favorite quotes, and one that has everything to do with what we are looking at today, is this one. Quote, The Bible says that as long as we are here on earth, we are strangers in a foreign land. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. End quote. Our series throughout the month of July has been ambassadors in a foreign land. And we've been looking at what it means as Christ followers to live as his ambassadors in this foreign land on planet Earth. To live here while our loyalty and allegiance is to another kingdom. And so today we conclude the series with this message entitled, Longing for Home longing for home. So here is the big idea, the one sentence summary of what we're going to seek to unpack throughout the message today. Live with your feet on planet earth, but your focus on the kingdom of heaven. Live with your feet on planet earth, but your focus on the kingdom of heaven. Here's how the apostle Paul said it in Colossians 3 beginning with verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. But how do we do that? How do you set your sights on the realities of heaven? How do you live on earth with a heavenly focus? Well, I want to I say today, I believe it requires of us some changes, some shifts in the way that we look at life and think about life. And I want to draw some from Scripture to share with you today. Now, let me just give you a warning as we get going here. Uh, I have a lot of truth statements and a lot of passages of Scripture to share with you. And so you're going to have to stay with me. You're going to have to buckle up and get on your scriptural horse and follow me, all right? Because we're, I'm not here to entertain you today. I'm here to teach you. 
So go with me. Here are some shifts that we must make in how we think about life and how we live life as his ambassadors to have a heavenly focus. The first one, make the kingdom of heaven your highest priority. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Verse 31, Jesus said, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And then Jesus said in that well-known 33rd verse, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need for a faithful ambassador the things of God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven those are interchangeable terms in the New Testament must not be a part-time hobby just kind of a, a side priority to us they must be our glorious obsession we must have our hearts set on the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. We have priorities and demands in our life. We have to provide for our needs and the needs of our family. And we have responsibilities and things that, that we must be faithful to do. We have many different priorities. But Jesus is saying among all those life priorities, the kingdom of heaven must be first. It must be our top priority. The second shift I would challenge us to make is then be eager to know the truth about the kingdom of heaven. I want you to see what Jesus said to his disciples. Very interesting in Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 10. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Now look at verse 12, key verse here. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look but they really don't see. They hear, but they really don't listen or understand. Jesus was saying to his disciples that a faithful ambassador must be hungry for the truth of God. We ought to be like spiritual sponges for biblical truth and its application to life. We ought to have a hunger for the things of God and his righteousness that will never be satisfied. Because you cannot represent a kingdom faithfully that you don't understand. You cannot serve a king well that you don't know well. So my challenge to you is allow your spiritual hunger to grow. Have an insatiable appetite for the things of God. 
Put yourself under teachers that, that teach you well and guide you well. Not only the pastors and the Bible study leaders and Sunday school teachers of our church, but even outside those good godly teachers that we have really at, at our fingertips in this age of media. Uh, some of my favorites are Chuck Swindoll and David Jeremiah and, and um, Matt Chandler and Tony Evans and I could go, Charles Stanley, I could go on and on. There are some wonderful, godly, rich teachers out there. Be hungry to know the truth about the kingdom of God. It will help your focus to be on heaven. Here's another shift in our thinking we must make. Understand what greatness in the kingdom of heaven really means. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Look at this episode in Jesus' ministry, Matthew 18, verse 1. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now look at verse 4. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Our culture has different ways of evaluating or perceiving greatness. Uh, usually it has to do with someone's looks or their popularity or their intellect or their talents or their money or their power or their position. All those things the world thinks defines greatness. But the kingdom of God's criteria is entirely different. And Jesus used the, the visual example of an innocent little child. Greatness in the kingdom of God is defined by servanthood and humility. Listen, there are no big shots in the kingdom of God. There are no celebrities in the kingdom of God. One of my favorite stories about Dr. Graham is that when his children were young, some of his wealthy supporters wanted to give them money and give uh, his children lavish gifts to express their love and appreciation, and Dr. Graham wouldn't allow it. He said, I don't want my children to grow up thinking they're entitled to earthly things. I want to teach them the values of the kingdom of heaven. And I think what made Billy Graham great and what kept the Holy Spirit upon his ministry all those years of his life was his humility and his spirit of servanthood. Listen, friends, when pride walks up, the Holy Spirit walks away. Greatness in God's kingdom is defined through humility. Well, here's yet another shift and this is how we are to live our lives. No matter what season of life you are in, spend it seeking the kingdom of heaven. No matter what season of life you're in. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus taught as he often did, using a parable. And I want to go through this story quickly. Stay with me, and then I want to apply it to our subject today. Matthew 20, beginning with verse 1. Here's Jesus' parable. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing, and he sent them out. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So, those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Now, as it's true with many of Jesus' parables, there are multiple interpretations and applications we could make. But here's how I want to apply it to our subject today. Some people come to the work of the kingdom of God early in life as children. Some people come to faith and into the kingdom of God as teenagers. Others come as young adults. Still others come in middle age, and even others come in their latter years of life. But every one of them is a needed ambassador in the work of the kingdom. I'm one of those who came early. I came to faith in Jesus Christ as an eight-year-old boy. I surrendered to vocational ministry at 14, got my first church job at 17, and I've been serving for 54 years in various positions. I came early. Many of you came early as children. But others of you perhaps came as teenagers. Others perhaps came in the, the years of raising your family as young adults. Still others came in the more mature years of life, shall we say. But whatever season of life you came to Christ or whatever season of life you are in right now, you are needed as an ambassador. It would be a mistake for a young person who has come to faith in Christ to say, well, I'm just young. I can't really make much of a difference in the kingdom. Oh, it couldn't be further from the truth. We need young people more than ever in our nation's history to be faithful ambassadors for Christ. We are losing that generation to faith. And maybe you're in the, the busy season of life that you are raising a family and you're working hard at your job and your career. 
And maybe you think, I, I'm, I'm so busy, I'm so stressed, I, I, I don't have much to offer the kingdom. Listen, your ambassadorship is not something you do apart from your life. You are an ambassador for Christ as you raise your children. You're an ambassador for Christ where you do your work. You are His representative in every part of your busy life. And maybe some of you, like me, are in the more mature stage of life. And there's a temptation to think, you know, I've served my time. I've done the best I could. It's, I, I'm retired. Listen, an ambassador never retires from the kingdom of God. And some of the most powerful prayer warriors I've ever known have been mature saints of God. Some of the people with the greatest wisdom that is so desperately needed for those who are younger are people who have walked with Christ for many years. No matter what season of life you're in, you are needed as an ambassador for Christ. Well, here's yet another shift. Watch for the kingdom of heaven unfolding around you and wait patiently for Christ to bring it in its fullness. I want you to see some teaching that Jesus did in Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 20. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Jesus was trying to help his disciples who were listening to his response to the Pharisees to understand that the kingdom was unfolding in their life. And friends, the kingdom of God is still unfolding today. There is the kingdom present. We are living in it. And then there's the kingdom future. Verse 22, Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the Son of Man, or here He is, but don't go out and follow them. For the day when the Son of Man comes. And then Jesus paused, and He told His disciples that on that day that He was speaking to them, His work to redeem us from sin had not yet been done. Look at verse 25. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. And it was only a short time until Jesus' prophetic words became reality and He died for our sins. And then Jesus again spoke of His return that is yet to happen. The day that he shall come to judge those who have rejected the gospel and establish his eternal kingdom. And he uses a powerful imagery from Old Testament times. Verse 26, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Think of this, picture this. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
And just like that day when people ignored God or thought there was no God, just like our day when so many in our culture ignore God or think there is no God, there'll come a day when no one will deny it. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 21, beginning with verse 25. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And my favorite verse is verse 27. That's just what we sang about in the Revelation song a few moments ago. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Listen, friends, when He comes on that day, He will conquer sin and suffering. Evil and injustice will be no more. There will be no reports of murders and natural disasters and pandemics on the news anymore. His righteousness will rule and reign forever and ever. And those who've trusted in Him by faith will have their eternal reward and go to the home that is waiting for them that is filled with beauty and safety and the glory of God. One more shift. One more shift. I challenge you to look toward the kingdom of heaven with longing in your heart for home. There's a song that says, I know you've heard it, I can only imagine what it will be like. And we don't know, we, we struggle to understand heavenly things in earthly terms. They're two different dimensions. But, but the Lord gave the Apostle John a vision of heaven that at least gives us a little glimpse of what it will be like. Let me select some verses to read from Revelation chapters 21 and 22, beginning with verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, John said. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day, because there is no night there. All the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. And then my favorite phrase, verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. Who will enter? Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That eternal record that God has of every person who has trusted in Christ and become by faith a Christ follower. Let me just say, friends, if your name's not yet written in that, in that book, you want it to be written in that book. 
You want to be on that day. There will be nothing else that will matter. And if you want to know how to do that, come by the hospitality room. I'd be happy to talk with you about that. For in Revelation 22, Jesus speaks words that should move our hearts. Look at what he says, beginning with verse 12. Jesus said, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message to the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. And then beginning in verse 12, Jesus issues an invitation. Hear his words. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Jesus says, come. So as we wrap up this series, let me give you just two simple encouragements if you are Christ's ambassador. First, look around you. Look around you. The kingdom of heaven is unfolding before you. Look around and see where God is at work and join Him in that work. You are His ambassador. So look around you. And then look up. Look up to Him for guidance. Look up and think of that glorious eternal home He is preparing for you, fellow ambassadors of Christ, live with your feet on planet earth, but with your focus on the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be heavenly minded so that we can live effectively as your ambassadors while we are here on earth. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to be mindful of the kingdom of heaven. Help us to participate in what you are doing so that others might see you and come to know you and become your children as well. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today. Thank you for uh, our guests that are here. Thank you, Lord, for those who need to know you. And I pray that you will have spoken to them today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great Sunday.